All right, we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The translation on the screen is the New Living. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Amen. So about two months ago, I I looked at this verse and I I showed you that that you are made up of three parts. You have a spirit and a soul and a body. And we looked at the tabernacle, God's uh, design of the tabernacle, the three courts, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place to uh, show how God has shown us how we are made. But you can go back and listen to that on your own time as you wish. But this morning, I just want to start with this statement again that God says we are three parts. We have a spirit, a soul, and a body, and God cares about all three. You see that? The the New, New King James says, may God sanctify you completely. Sanctify means to wash you clean, make you holy, make you blameless is another word here in this translation. This one says, may God make you holy in every way. But the the literal translation is, may God sanctify you completely, meaning all three parts. You are complete when all three parts are clean and holy and healthy and whole and at peace. Yes? So God is concerned with all three parts of you, and notice he does not rank one over the other. All right, your, your body and your soul, which is your mind and emotions, the realm of thoughts and feelings, uh, that matters to God and your spirit matters to God. All three of them matter to God and he is working to make each individual one of us completely whole and healed and clean and free in all three parts. Until Jesus comes back, that is the work of God. That he is making us so, so it, it should be the work of the church. Yeah. Our assignment is to minister this sanctification or this washing clean of God to people in all three parts. Yeah. We're to minister to people's bodies and souls and spirits. And because this comes from the mouth of God, but it's coming through the mind and pen of Paul. So he's, he's saying he, that our ministry assignment is this also. So this morning I want to talk to you about having an integrated spiritual worldview. It's really difficult to be truly spiritual because we have to take that by faith. It's easy to see this three-dimensional world of, of space, but we have to live by faith when it comes to the matters of the soul and the spirit. We can feel our emotions and we're aware of our thoughts. Well, that's the realm of the soul the inner life that we have. We're aware of that, but it's not tangible. It's sort of hard to define and understand sometimes. But it's a lot easier to understand and perceive than the Spirit. So we have to live by faith. And 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. But faith is not blind. In fact, Jesus said if you don't have faith, you are blind. That when you have faith, you are seeing. And I read all those scriptures to you a couple months ago where Jesus says, you have eyes, but you're not seeing. It didn't mean they were blind here, they're blind here, right? So when we live by faith, we actually see more than people who don't live by faith. Those that don't have faith accuse us of making things up and imagining God and, and religion is just a crutch and, 
and you're just uh, pretending. And No, we're not pretending. Um, it's actually you that's blind, not me. Faith is, faith is not blind. By faith, our eyes are opened. Faith is not ignorance. It's actually a greater understanding. But it creates tension because it's really simple and easy to live in a three-dimensional world, and we can add thoughts and time and feelings to that, but... But that's really easy, but trying to perceive and understand and live in and minister in the Spirit creates a tension because it isn't very easy. It doesn't come natural. Uh, we cannot perceive it with our five senses like we are used to functioning. Being led by the Spirit instead of our own preconceived ideas and what we think we know is rather difficult. So... Thinking I understand something removes that tension, but it doesn't work. Humility creates an uh, a tension of un uncertainty, but it leads to success. So I want to talk to you about integrating your spiritual view, having uh, living in and thinking about and moving with God in body, soul, and spirit, and understanding that spirit, soul, and body are all equally real. Spirit is not pretend or imaginary. It isn't something that is woo-woo out there uh, in, in something we can't know. Your spirit is just as real as your body. Um, it can't be perceived or touched in the physical ways, but it's just as real. So if you have a spiritual worldview, you're going to combine physical knowledge with emotional and mental understanding and spiritual faith, all three. So let me give you an example of, of what I'm talking about of having a spiritual worldview and a spiritual Christianity and ministering to people body, soul, and spirit. So, so someone comes with a problem with depression or anxiety. They've been diagnosed clinically depressed. So a medical doctor who works primarily with the body and physical things is going to say, well, you're not getting enough exercise, or let's talk about your hormones or let's ask what you're eating and are, you know, is it sugar and fat and caffeine and alcohol because uh, diet absolutely can create depression. Or let's ask about your sleep habits. Are you, are you sleeping well and regularly? Or maybe the doctor's just going to say you need more sunshine because that can cause depression. You know? and so there are, there are people who specialize in the body and they're going to say, well, there's causes for depression in the body. And it's totally true. But a psychologist or a counselor that works with people's inner life, what the Bible calls the soul, they're going to ask, well, tell me about your relationships and tell me about your childhood and let's talk about traumas and PTSD and your fears or phobias and let's, let's have a meeting with your inner child or let's talk about your family of origin or your griefs and your losses in life and all of that is true and real. But that person coming from that perspective is only going to deal with the inner life that the Bible calls the soul, the mind and the will and emotions and the feelings. And, and then there are some Christians, uh, preachers or believers, or other people, not even Christians, but a witch doctor, somebody comes with major depression or anxiety, they're going to say, you have a demon, we need to cast it off. And that could certainly be true. Or they're going to tell you, well, you've sinned and you need to repent or you've offended the gods somehow. But a wise, mature Christian with an integrated spiritual worldview says, well, it could be any of those three. And let's pursue all the options until we have the solution. Examples, I, I'm sure I'm free to say this because he put it on Facebook, but there's a man in our church who was diagnosed with a depression a couple of years ago and 
was on all sorts of drugs and then did a sleep study and found out that he had some really bad sleep apnea and he's been on a CPAP machine and depression and drugs are considerably improved. It was physical. You know that some women after pregnancy, their hormones swing and, and the bodies have to regulate over time and, and so the source of the depression is physical and it needs addressed physically. But we all know there's major causes emotionally uh, for depression. There's uh, loss or trauma or beliefs that people have about themselves or life and they, they get depressed and they think themselves or they feel themselves into a depression. Right? And then there are spiritual reasons for depression too. There is really, truly a spiritual attack. I, got, I want to read you a, a note that I got this week. Uh, this is not a lady that any of you know. She doesn't even live in this state, but she listened to one of my sermons online and she sent me a message. The sermon she listened to was the one about the Navy SEALs training, where I, ta- where I talk about God drowning you so that you know what it feels like to die. So when she mentions God drowning us, that's what she's talking about. She said, I feel like God drowned me on Easter and your message made it easier to see what he was doing. I may have it wrong, but it was intense. A little backstory, I had depression for 10 years before it was healed at a prayer room in February. This is a woman from a non-charismatic church that denies the move of the Holy Spirit. She got baptized and, and spoke in tongues and healed of her depression on the floor in a charismatic church and had to go back to her church and say, uh, this happened and it was real. <laughs> Easter morning, we went to a sunrise service at 6 a.m., came home and got started getting ready for our usual Easter Sunday. I'm not sure what happened exactly, except that I didn't take my thoughts captive and I let some of my habitual lies in. I started to feel the downward spiral into depression and panicked, and I kind of gave up. The enemy was telling me that if I was healed, then it didn't stick, and I was hopeless, and it got worse. TJ prayed with and for me. I felt better enough to pretend to be better and go to church. As soon as I saw the kitchen, I felt overwhelmed again. It was a mess, and we were hosting Easter lunch after church, and how I was... How was I going to do it all? So I told TJ that I would just stay home and clean and go to church without me. So he left. I felt completely abandoned and more despair than I've ever felt, like the switch to God's light was shut off. It took me a few minutes before I realized I was wailing in despair. The dog's hackles were up and they were growling. I heard it and it sounded creepy, but I couldn't control my own voice. Then in my mind, I saw my family finding me dead after church. It felt like fact. A few minutes, maybe of this, time didn't really make sense. I realized somehow I had gotten a razor blade and was standing in the kitchen holding it to my wrist. I don't know what to say except that I felt an angel push something off of me in a huge, powerful light. The switch was back on, the darkness in my vision was gone, and I felt 100% stable instantly, like the last hour hadn't happened at all. I have no doubt God saved my life. A few days later in my prayers, I saw the whole thing again from the outside, and I heard God tell me, See, when it really is bad, I've got this. I haven't abandoned you. It's not as serious as you thought. The depression is still gone. I still have things to address and thoughts to get rid of, but I haven't ever or since experienced anything like that. Thank you for the concept of drowning and spiritual strength through depending on Christ to revive me. He is good. So there's more of a thread of 
messages there, but but that's a that's a spiritual event. We're to minister to people, body, soul, and spirit. And people's problems, your own or the people you love or the people you come in to minister to at church. Um, their problem may be in their body, it may be in their soul, their mind or their heart, or it may be in their spirit. And God cares about all three. And we have to know and understand all three. So those of you who are still skeptical or fearful of spiritual things, I want to educate you and reassure you and uh, inform you that the spirit is real. And interaction between people and spirits happens all the time. Everybody's got stories, they're just scared to tell them. I'm finding that out more and more. Because I think people will think that they're crackpots. But spiritual interaction happens all the time, and there are people in terrible bondage. And then there, there are other people who are uh, only interested in spiritual stuff, and you need to know that God is interested in body and soul too. Hello? The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And if, if you come into a situation thinking you know what the answer is, and yet what you have is going to fix everything, uh, you're going to miss it. You know, I've been to doctors before who think they have the answers that I need, but I know they weren't really listening and understanding what I'm saying. Anybody live through that? Uh-huh. Yeah, doctors don't know nearly as much as they think. I've had people offer me counsel, both average Joes and professionals, who were certain that they had my answer, but I knew that what they were telling me was not right. It's, that's not the cause or the answer. And I've had people prophesy to me and completely miss it. Like, no, that's not happening at all. You know, I've had people want me to pray for them or to pray for me, and, and I knew that Prayer is not the answer in this case. And I don't mean that prayer is wrong. I just mean that we don't need to pray about this. You need to repent and stop doing what you're doing. You're creating your own problem and you're wanting to pray and have God bail you out. So so all three areas, when we uh, minister in all three and have an integrated view of what a person is and, and who God is, then we can address problems. There's a There's a tension. In humble spiritual faith, I don't come into the situation believing that I have some specialty that will fix every problem. I have to listen and seek and pray and counsel and confess and repent and learn, and then, then we can fix the situation. You know, there's a type of person who is solely physical in their worldview. Every reality is material, it's physical, it's chemical, it's biological. The outside world is only a projection of our mind, which itself is unreal. It's only chemical and electrical interpretation of Sensory input into our bodies, which are purely chemical and electrical. Every medical problem, every emotion, every thought, every relationship, every decision, every miracle can be explained by physical and material phenomenon. And Every solution to every problem, from politics to genetics to astrophysics to philosophy, every answer to every question in history and family and medicine must be physically real. Those people are wrong two-thirds of the time. And whether that person is a doctor or a Twitter troll, these are the most arrogant and ignorant people that we have to deal with. Because it's always true that the less somebody knows, the more they think they know. And the people who are only aware of one-third of reality know the least of anybody. It's really true. And there are Christians who would say they believe in God, but they live like there's only a physical reality. Then there's other people who, who recognize the reality of of the soul or, or the inner life that the Bible calls the soul and, 
it might be a psychologist or a counselor, but it might be your grandma, you know, and they think that the answer to everything is that you just need to believe strong enough and things will work out for you. You run into people like that, yeah? So a counselor or a psychologist is going to come and want to analyze your emotions or analyze your problems and your feelings about it, and if we just talk it through and think it through enough, it will solve it for you. Or grandma's answer might be just hugs and cookies. You know, if I just, if I just love you enough, it'll fix, it'll fix your issues. Or maybe on the other hand, you've got a dad or a coach who was just like, well, just suck it up. You got a problem? Just choose to behave different. Uh, both of those people are, are thinking that your problem is in your soul. It's in your heart or your mind. And if you just believe and think different, it will solve it. Right? Mom and grandma are going to come with hugs and cookies. And dad and coach and grandpa are going to say, well, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, if, if we could think our way out of our problems, we wouldn't need a savior. Hello? If self-control was the answer to all our problems... We wouldn't need a savior. So the people who are dealing with people's souls, they're, they're addressing needs and problems, but they're, they're still missing two-thirds of the reality of what a person is. That there are physical needs and there are spiritual needs. And there is a type of person who sees everything as spiritual. And it's angels and demons and deliverance and spiritual warfare and these people can be sincerely religious or sometimes they're striving to prove something to God or sometimes they're just showing off, trying to think that they know more than the rest of us. You know, Pastor Tom used to say they think there's a demon behind every coffee pot. You know, they want to blame every problem on the devil, which is really an attempt to make sure that I am not accountable for what I did because the devil made me do it. And they get a flat tire. Oh, the devil's attacking today. I'm pretty sure the devil didn't put the nail on the road. These people are also wrong two-thirds of the time because there's more to us than spirit. We are soul and body also. We live in a physical reality, and it is real, and we cannot deny it. But th there's people who only want to address the reality of the spirit. So, they, I mean, these are the people that deny their problems, you know, the people who w just won't go to the doctor, that they want to deny physical reality they get really superstitious um, everything has a meaning and everything is is some mysterious thing that only they understand um, I'm talking about having this morning an integrated spiritual worldview that in that you live in the natural and you relate and think and feel in your soul and you connect with God and the spirit and so does everybody else and that as we live and move in all three, God is washing and healing and ministering to all three, in you and in other people through you, right? So let's talk about this again in, in the ministry understanding is you in living out your Christian life with your family or your neighbors or your coworkers or people in church or whatever. There are individual people, there are whole congregations that can kind of get fixated on one of these three or leave one of the three out. Uh, physical ministry to people is absolutely necessary. Physical ministry would include 
charity and welfare, street missions, homeless shelters, medical mission trips, construction mission trips, well digging mission trips, adopt a third world child kind of programs, government and political action groups, community service and financial classes, taking care of people in the in the earth, in real world physical needs, that absolutely must be an expression of our Christianity. But if it's the only expression of our Christianity, we're going to be lifeless real fast. We just become another political action group. We come, become another Lions Club. And, and we're only going to solve the problems that are rooted in the physical, and we're going to miss two-thirds of the roots and causes of people's issues. Because we're, they have a body, yes, and we're called to love that and take care of it, but they have a soul and a spirit, too, that God wants to minister to. There are other churches that do really fantastic with soul ministry to people. Most churches probably specialize in this one. Uh, soul ministry is absolutely necessary, and I'm talking about counseling and encouragement and emotional healing and grief counseling and marriage counseling and parenting training and social activities and fellowship and leadership training and Bible teaching. It's all ministering to people's minds and hearts. That's soul ministry. But again, if that's all there is to your Christianity, you're going to get lifeless real quick. It's just a bunch of church activity. And you might as well join the Kiwanis Club or the Good Sam's or the Lions Club. You're going to minister to people's minds and emotions, but you're going to miss, again, two-thirds of reality. And then there are churches and individuals who get into spiritual ministry and spiritual ministry is absolutely necessary. It is prayer meetings, it is worship, it is deliverance and spiritual warfare and miracles and healing and revival. But again, if that's all there is to your Christianity, it's going to get lifeless real fast. Not nearly so many amens on that one. Not quite sure that that's lifeless. It is. It is. If you're not ministering to people... And taking care of people and loving people in a relationship, the spiritual activity is going to get real empty real fast. And you're going to miss the actual need two-thirds of the time. So which one of those three did Jesus move in? Yeah, that's a trick question. Of course, he was always living in all three. And he would move back and forth with a person, with the same person. He would take care of all three at the same time. Right? He's multiplying food to feed hungry people at the end of a long day. But he's also passing out affirmation and forgiveness everywhere he goes. And he walked on water just because he could. <laughs> Body, soul, and spirit. Hello? He healed leprosy and lots of other physical problems just because he loved people and wanted to heal their bodies. Even the ones that didn't thank him for it. He healed them anyway because he just... Loves people and he wants to take care of their physical needs. But he also taught in the synagogues, ministering to people's minds. It's the realm of the soul. He's teaching all the time. In the synagogues and in the hillsides and from boats. He's preaching all the time. But he also in the middle of the night is transfigured with the glory of God. Just because. It just happens. And only three people even see it. There's a spiritual event. You know, he's... Constantly doing fish miracles, you know, pulling money out of a fish's mouth or bringing in so many that the nets are breaking and to just to provide income for his disciples. And he's feeding hungry people, but he loved and encouraged everybody he met. But he also had spiritual power to raise the dead when necessary. He did not specialize in one of these or emphasize one or two of the other ones. It was already all the time. 
He took care of his mom's physical needs, but he cried when he lost his friend Lazarus. But he fasted 40 days when the time called for it too. Body, soul, and spirit. The apostles passed out food. They cared financially for poor widows. They took care of people's physical bodily needs. But they also preached everywhere they went. They wrote the New Testament. They're constantly ministering to people's emotional and, and uh, intellectual needs. And, but they raised the dead and cast out demons too. Spiritual power was at hand anytime they needed it. So I'm talking to you about having an integrated spiritual worldview this morning, a spiritual Christianity, a Christian faith that lives in and moves in and ministers in all three realms at once, the three-dimensional physical world, the soul world of time and thought and emotions and beliefs, and the spiritual world of God and the Holy Spirit, angels and demons, miracles, healings, prayer, and so on. You know, if I have a a spiritual father figure, one of them would be Dick Iverson, who went home to be with the Lord a couple months ago, and he's from Portland, founded what is now uh, City Bible Church and Portland Bible College and MFI that uh, Josh and I are part of, and he grew up the son of a pastor in Portland, and the name of the church was Deliverance Tabernacle. Dick says, my dad's church was a one-string banjo. I happened to bring my banjo this morning. Dick says, my dad, uh, that I grew, uh, the church I grew up in, that my dad led, was a one-string banjo. And with a name like Deliverance Tabernacle, I'll bet you can guess what string that was. You know, he said, every Sunday morning, Deliverance, Sunday night. Deliverance, Wednesday night, deliverance, prayer meeting, deliverance. Somebody comes in for counseling, we'll cast a demon off of you. And he said, you know, his dad had real success in getting people free from addictions and torment in their mind and lust and other things. He said, but nobody ever stayed in our church. They were coming in the front door, getting prayer, getting some measure of breakthrough, and they'd leave out the back door because the church was not taking care of the rest of who they were, right? He said, we weren't, we weren't, we were a one-string banjo. We just had, my dad knew one thing, and that's what he ministered, and that's all he did. He didn't pastor people. He didn't teach them. He didn't take care of them, but it only ministered to one small part of the person, so the church never grew and nothing ever happened. And his story is that he, as a young adult man, became very proud and uh, judgmental of his dad and that the Lord had to humble him and say, you go home and you work with your dad and you serve him and then I will raise you up. But he said his, his teaching to us as pastors is your church can't be a one-string banjo. You've got to, have, you've got to minister to the whole person. You've got to have an integrated spiritual worldview. I don't think that's his language, but it's mine, but... You know, banjo's got five strings and there's a five-fold ministry and we need to minister to all the people. But, you know, there are, there are those churches that are just revival, 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 you know. And then there's other churches that are uh, street mission and homeless shelter and pass out food and soup kitchen and clothing. And, you know, but you don't see a whole lot of the fruit of the gospel in the people's lives that they're taking care of, Right? There's other churches where it's all about fun and fellowship and food and more food and hey, come and be happy and happy and let's get together and come and be encouraged and every Sunday 
Everybody leaves really cheer-led, but it's not a whole lot of depth. It's just happy. If you personally, and us as a congregation, if we integrate our faith and we're living in this world, ministering to people with physical needs, but understanding that we're tied to our thoughts and emotions more than we understand, and that uh, spirits are real, and that uh, the Holy Spirit of power is available for us, well, then you get a little tune. Obviously, not all of us can do everything, but, but God's got a lot of strings here, and he wants to play each one of us at the right time. Not all of them at all at once. That isn't music, but if we're all firing on at the right time, as God uh, says, here, you do this, and you do this, and you serve this person, then, then the, music begins to, the, the music begins to come out, Yeah. I had a little song practiced up, but now I'm nervous. I'm sweating. (laughs) I've never played the banjo in public before. Ah, I just, I got all nervous. My kids have heard me play, but... All right, we're not going to be a one-string banjo. That's all I need to. <laughs> Sarah got me this for my birthday a couple years ago, and I have played it pretty minimally, but I would like to learn and be a lot better. But Oh, yeah. Dick says, my dad was a one-string banjo player. There's absolutely nothing wrong with somebody playing that one string if that's all they've got. Yeah. And the Lord corrected him for judging his dad. That's all his dad knew. It's what his dad's gift was. Real success happened. His dad wasn't a pastor. He was a deliverance man. Yes. Right? And so uh, and I say that in, not at all in any judgment of anybody that specializes in evangelism or specializes in street ministry or specializes in addiction counseling and recovery or just whatever. The whole church, all of us together, we need to be playing all the strings. All right, but an individual person or even an individual congregation may only have one or two strings, and if they play it to the Lord, it is real beautiful in his eyes. All right, but the goal would be to practice and learn and understand more and gain more wisdom so that we can help more people. To have an integrated view of ourselves, to understand that maybe our problem is coming from our body, our diet, our hormones, our sleep, our you know, just lack of exercise and energy, or maybe it's coming from our soul, things we believe about ourselves, lies we've been put on from us, uh, things our parents taught us that we're totally unconscious of, or maybe there's a spirit to deal with. So, in your own life or in the people that you're ministering to, if somebody comes to you and their problem is alcohol, could it be physical? Well, sure, absolutely. You know, there seems to be genetic proof that that's genetic predisposition in some people, that they just have an addictive personality, and sometimes it's alcohol. Could it be in their soul? Absolutely. They could be trying to drown some pretty major pain. I heard just two weeks ago of a, uh, from the daughter's perspective of a man who was a hard, nasty, violent drunk. And her mom did not leave him because she said, you have no idea what your dad was like before the war. 
This man had fought in World War II, and as a 19 or 20-year-old in Europe, they were sweeping a village looking for Nazis who were hiding in all the upstairs windows, and he saw movement in a barn hayloft, and he shot, and a woman and baby fell out. 19, 20 years old, he kills a French girl and her baby, thinking it's a Nazi, and he came home, and he could not live with that pain for the rest of his life. He drank the rest of his life away. That man does not need rebuked. He doesn't need 12-step counseling. He needs loved. He needs released in Jesus' name from the guilt and terrible shame of what he did. Could alcohol also be a spirit? Absolutely. Those of you who know Bob Jones' testimony, you know. He came out of alcoholism, repented to the Lord, never drank another drop, but his breath and his sweat reeked of alcohol for years longer. And he said, I was tormented with temptation for alcohol, but I smelled like I was a sopping drunk all the time. And one day, he was a tree trimmer, and one day in the top of the tree, he burped, and a black cloud came out of his mouth, and the smell went away, and the temptation went away. There is a spirit of alcohol. Are we going to tell somebody you've got a demon? Well, not right up front, because we don't know that. Hello? This is what I'm talking about, being wise and being integrated in our thinking. Could be physical, could be soul, could be spirit. Somebody's diagnosed with bipolar. Could that be physical? Sure. There could be chemistry issues or wiring issues in the brain. Absolutely, there could be that. Could bipolar be somebody's wildly untamed, undisciplined emotions? Sure. Could it be a reaction to trauma and and unhealed pain? Yes. Could it be a complete lack of self-discipline? Absolutely. Yeah. Could it be a demon? For sure. I have an uncle who's been diagnosed as bipolar. I'm certain he's demon-possessed. He is crazy, but he's not insane. He is intentional about his thieving and his lying. He is not out of touch with reality because he is a professional liar. And wicked, evil, intentional, intentional wickedness to his ex-wife and his kids. He's very much knows what's real, and he's lying on purpose, and it is demonic. Going to tell everybody a bipolar person they got a demon? No. Could it be? Absolutely. Somebody's anger problem. Could it be physical? Sure, it could be hormones or diet or even allergies. And we just don't even know where it's coming from. Could it be emotional? Well, sure. Could it be some childhood wound or unforgiveness or grief or just what? Who knows? Yeah, for sure it could be. Is there a spirit of anger? Yeah, the Bible says King Saul's was. I've told you before, my dad describes his fits of rage when I was a kid as an out-of-body experience. He said, I would, co- I would come out of my body and watch me do and say terrible things to you boys. And he, I was inside screaming, no, stop, don't do that. But I couldn't control myself. There's a spirit of rage. When you're losing conscious control and even awareness of time, That's a spiritual event. When your mind is somewhere else saying, don't do that, don't do that, or your mind is shut off, that's not a soul issue. That's a spiritual issue. Somebody dealing with obesity, could it be physical? Sure. Could be just just a, a bad habits of eating the wrong stuff and 
Could it be a soul issue? Sure it could. They're burying pain or compensating for some terrible insecurity or even a poverty mindset. I have to have all I can have right now. Could it be a spirit of gluttony? Sure. Could be any of the three. Not more likely to be one than the other. Any addiction. Any lust. Could a person's lust be just regular old biological testosterone and oxygen in the blood kind of attraction? Sure it could. Absolutely. Could it be an emotional issue? Yeah. Compensating for some some shortage in their manhood or some emotional need that wasn't met? Is there a perversion in their thinking? For sure. Could it be a spirit of lust? Absolutely. You guys who stare at videos in the night and you lose track of time and consciousness, that's a spiritual event. It's not in your soul because your mind is off. That's a big difference between that and noticing some girl in her yoga pants in the gym. Hello? We can do terrible damage to people by rebuking them when they need to be loved. You would do equally bad damage when we coddle somebody who needs to be rebuked and commanded to repent. How do you know which one to do? You follow the Spirit. You listen to the person and you listen to the Lord and you think and you pray. You don't think ahead of time, oh, I know what this is. We're just going to beat a demon out of you. Well, maybe that's what they need, but only a third of the time. Some of, some of you others, you just want to love people and hug them and into correction and doing it right, and they may need a finger in their face. You need to repent. You're out of line. You're disobeying God. Get it right. The truth is we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are way more complicated than we understand. And as you have heard me say before, our spirit, soul, and body are so interconnected that that it's really, really difficult to even tell the three apart, much less know which one is doing what. And I explained that with the tabernacle and the trinity, that Father, Son, and Spirit are one, but they're three separate, you have three separate parts, but you are one, and all three affect the others. What we eat affects our moods, our moods affects our diseases, and what's going on in our spirit absolutely affects our actions and our words, and then our words turn around and affect our bodies. And We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the good news is that Jesus is coming, the Bible says, to judge the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows. He knows. Like the woman I just read to you that on Easter Sunday is standing at the kitchen sink with a knife on her wrist. He knows that wasn't her. He knows that the man who drank, literally drank his entire life away, he understands why. That the thoughts and intents of his heart were not for alcohol or murder. He will not be judged for either one. That man did get right with God just a few days before he died. Jesus is coming to judge the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows exactly what's doing what inside. He knows how to unravel the ball of yarn. 
in you, and he will help you minister to and love and serve the people that you love and want to minister to. He will give you spiritual insight. He will give you answers that you didn't know existed if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to be spirit-led. He knows the thoughts and intents of people's hearts. Amen. He loves us more than we know. He loves us so much more than we know. He's not nearly as ashamed of us as we are ourselves. But he also isn't excusing us nearly as much as we excuse ourselves. It's all of the above. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you knew us before you created us in our mother's womb. But as you knit us together, Lord, you were designing who we are. You were putting together body, soul, and spirit, Lord. You know every step. You know every event. You know every detail, every input, good and bad, into what's gone in to make us who we are. Thank you that you see body, soul, and spirit, that you have all the answers, and that with a word you can set us free. Thank you that you have power over our bodies, you have power over our minds and our hearts, and you have power over our spirits. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we are free, we are sanctified, we are complete and whole and clean. Lord, your word says that you are preserving us blameless, whole and clean, sanctified, washed, healed, made right in our bodies and our souls, and our spirits. We praise you, we thank you, thank you, thank you that you know the innermost core of our being. You know what is there. You know that our hearts are for you, that we love you. Lord, we surrender to you and your will now because we know that you are completely trustworthy and safe. You have every answer to every situation. We bless your holy name, Jesus. I speak healing and wholeness, sanctified purity to every body, every soul, and every spirit here right now. In Jesus' name, be free, be clean, be whole. In Jesus' name, amen.